Welcome to the Life Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church based in North Dallas with a desire to help people love God, love people, and make a difference. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Welcome to the Life Church on Wednesday night. Glad you're here. Those watching online or maybe watching later, thanks for joining us as well. Um, we're going to jump into something tonight that I've been talking about for the last last few weeks. And before we kind of get to it, let me just let you know that if you if you want to access the notes, they're in the Church Center app, and just go to the What's Next tab, and all of the verses, the various points that you'll see on the screen will be there as well. This is also something that maybe, maybe you don't want to follow along while I'm teaching, but you want to be able to refer back to, then uh, you're, you're welcome to to do that. So tonight we're starting starting a, a series for, I think it's going to be the next three weeks. I've kind of been unsure, but I think it's going to be the next three weeks. And we're going to be walking through what I'm calling a biblical view of sexuality and gender. So tonight we, we just have us adults in here. We've got some of our young adults uh, that are in here. But I want to let you know, for those of you who are parents of teens, parents of those that are in Lifeline tonight, um, I'm planning to go up to the youth center next month, uh, one night during our breakouts, and I'll be speaking to our young people about this subject as well. And uh, amen. I will tell you this, um, Pastor Matt deals with this quite a bit. And there are times, he told me it's been about a year when we were speaking. It's been about a year since he's dealt with this specifically for a whole service, but he is constantly weaving it into his teaching and weaving it into their discussion because he knows this is uh, very pressing as it pertains to our young people. And, and so I just want to make you aware of that. I'll be with Lifeline next month. And uh, then when it comes to our, our children, uh, I'm not planning to go to kids' life, uh, but guess what? Your kids have you. And you're called to be the priest of your home. And so I am encouraging parents that if you're not having conversations with your children about sexuality, about gender, and you may be thinking, well, I'm going to wait until they hit puberty. I'm going to tell you, you're going to wait too late because the world's not waiting and their friends at school are not waiting. Some of our teachers have told me that, that sexuality, while it used to be kind of in the background of the conversation at school, it's now very much in the foreground. It's, it's in everyone's consciousness and, and pronouns and, and who's identifying as this today that was maybe not identifying as that yesterday. That's very, very much in the schools and very much what your children are, are, are dealing with. And, and I've been told from parents that, that it seems like every other day their child is coming home and telling them, well, this person has come out and this person is now identifying as X, Y, or, or, or Z. And so I'm just encouraging you parents, be involved. Be involved. Plan to hit on that a little bit more next week, but let's let's get going for tonight. We've got a lot of ground to cover, and tonight is going to be very much foundational. 
and uh, I will address some specific things, but a lot of what I do tonight is going to set up what's going to happen the next two weeks. And as I've said leading into this, asking for your prayers and asking you to pray for whoever may be here and whoever may uh, hear this message, I I want you to know and I want to commit to you again that I plan to go about tonight and the next couple of weeks in the most redemptive way possible. The purpose of what we're doing is to inform. The purpose of what I'm doing is to help, not hurt. It's to help. It's to redeem. It's not to condemn. It's so that someone who maybe is struggling, someone who has questions, so that maybe you're someone you're dealing with or working with, so that redemption can enter the picture. I, I want to be crystal clear from the very outset tonight that my aim in this series is not to point fingers at those people. My, my aim is not to point fingers at those people who believe those things or engage in those kind of activities because, listen, people are not our enemy. One another is not our enemy. We do have an enemy, but it's not people. We have an adversary, and I want you to know he's working overtime, and he's working overtime to distort the truth of God's word and to pull us away from God's design for our life. So that's what I'm coming against. I'm not coming against an individual. I'm not coming against a person. I'm coming against Satan. I'm coming against our adversary. I'm coming against the lies that he is weaving in our culture and society. Can somebody say amen? Put an amen on that. Amen. Amen. So we're going to spend some time in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you want to get your Bible or open your Bible app, we're going to go there in a minute. But I want to give a little context before we do in the first century, uh, when, when, when the book of 1 Corinthians was written, the city of Corinth was known as uh, a place of rampant, widespread sexual immorality. If you've never done a study on the city of Corinth, then it's, it's eye-opening. And, and they, they were known, this was a place where, where, where you know, sin abounded and deception and uh, just, just people doing whatever please the flesh. And, and the reason I'm pointing that out right now is because I, I want us to know that, that what we're dealing with in, in the United States of America in 2022, it's really not new. Ever heard of Sodom and Gomorrah? So this really is not new, and it was happening in Corinth about 2,000 years ago. And, and, and this city where, where this, this, this book was written to, the church in that city, uh, it was an everything-goes type culture. Whatever felt good, whatever was pleasing, what, whatever pushed the envelope, anything went. And just, just for instance, there were thousands of prostitutes who worked at the temple, not at the outskirts of the city, not over in the red light district, but they worked at the temple. Are you, are you beginning to see how corrupt this city was? Hopefully that gives you an idea. And everyone was encouraged to indulge their sinful appetites, to indulge the flesh, to indulge the body in whatever way they desired to do so. And so when we look at 1 Corinthians 6, I want you to know that what God spoke to the church in that city was very relevant to the situation that we're facing today 
in our culture. So this is what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. You can look at this screen or that screen if it's better for you. I've got it all on here for a, for a purpose, but read along with me. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Some people are going to make heaven, some people are not, right? Don't be deceived, neither here's some that aren't, according to this. Fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites. And listen, right here where it says nor homosexuals or sodomites, the English Standard Version says it like this, nor men who practice homosexuality. Okay, so that's what is being referred to here. These are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 10 continues, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were, he's talking to the church, and such were some of you. You used to be this way. You used to be included in this list. You used to be someone who was an alien from God, a stranger from God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He goes on to say, all things are lawful to me, and he's kind of, kind of bringing in here the argument of the Corinthians. All things are lawful to me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful to me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality. And we're going to drill this point home. I hope I drive it to the bedrock tonight. The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Your body's for the Lord, and the Lord is for your body. So I want you to understand here, we've, we've already, in, 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 this, in, in this section here, we've already used the word body twice, but, but we're just getting started because we're going to continue on with verse 14 here. Here's, here's what it says here in verse 14. But God both raised up the Lord and will also raise you up by his power. Talking about the resurrection. Anybody got resurrection power living inside of you? Anybody feel with the spirit tonight? God raised up the Lord. He's going to raise you up. Do you not know, though, that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? What you do in your body, you are joined to Christ. So anytime you join yourself to something else, you're taking Christ and trying to join him to it. Any kind of immorality you engage in, you're trying to take Christ and join him to that thing. Certainly not, he says. You don't do that. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Then he says, he gives us the, the commandment in verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Get out of Dodge. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. All the other sins that you do, 
that aren't sexual in nature, they're outside the body. But he who commits sexual sins, sexual immorality, they sin against their own body. And remember, your body's joined to Jesus. Your body's joined to Christ. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Has anybody here been bought with a price tonight? For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your what? In your body. Not just in your spirit. Not just with your thoughts. Not just in your inner man. But glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Listen, if you were keeping score and counting in that passage in 1 Corinthians 6, the word body is mentioned eight times in that passage. That leads me to believe that what we do with our bodies is pretty important. That, that leads me to believe that God takes pretty seriously what we do with our bodies. And the reason I point this out is that there's all kind of mixed messaging that is out there today about our bodies and how we're supposed to view our bodies and how we're supposed to use our bodies in church. That's why we desperately need to hear tonight what the Word of God says about our bodies. The Word of God's not silent when it comes to our bodies. Yes, we know it addresses the inner man. We, we know it, it addresses our, our, our consciousness, our thoughts, but it also says a whole lot about our bodies. If you're taking notes, if you're taking notes tonight, I encourage you to write down these three foundational truths about our bodies, or if you're in the church center app, you'll see them there. But according to this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll see that, number one, your body was created by God. It was created for his glory and for your earthly and eternal good. All of that was spoken. All of that was referenced in the verses we read just a moment ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, let's go back and, and let's look at 1 Corinthians 6.13 because in, in many ways, this is a foundational verse in this passage. Verse 16 is so important. In, in verse 16, we see here, we see a phrase that, that would have been understood by the Corinthians. Now, us just reading it, we might just read right on past it. We might just gloss right over it and say, okay, I don't really know what that's all about. But, but Paul is using this because the Corinthians would have understood it. It was a common phrase to use in that day. And here's what he says, foods are for the stomach and the stomach is for foods. In other words, food is made for your stomach, and your stomach is made for foods. And so, once again, this was a phrase that, that, that Paul was using very intentionally because when people in, in, in Corinth used that phrase, the implication here was that the body was made for sexual activity. Just like the stomach is made for food, the body's made for pleasure. Okay, that was the thinking 
That was the mindset of, of the Corinthians, that the body was made for sexual activity. The reason that we have an epidermis, the, the reason that we have five senses is so that we can enjoy things, so, so that we can have pleasure in life. And so their rationale was that just as the food is made for stomach, your body is made for pleasure. Sexual activity was made for the for the body, but, but, but God replied, God replied by saying this, no, or, or, or now, Here, here's what the truth is, the body is not for sexual immorality or sexual activity outside of marriage, but it's for the Lord, your body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body, what an incredible statement, that clears up a whole lot. Your body is not made for pleasure. Your body is made for the Lord. Now, we get to experience pleasure, but on God's terms. And then within the context that God created us to experience pleasure. But I, I want you to think about what, what the Lord is saying here. Saying that the body is for the Lord is very different. It's a very different basis than every other message that we're hearing in our society right now. Right, that's pretty different. That's, that's pretty counterculture right there. For us to think about, hey, no, 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 you know, whatever feels good, do it. Whatever you want, whatever, whatever your idea is, whatever somebody's telling you. No, but it's saying, hey, your body has a purpose, and your body is for the, for the Lord. That, that is a very different message than what we're hearing. The world is shouting this, please yourself, please your body. The world is shouting, live your own truth, regardless of what biology states. We want to follow the science in every other area, except for when it comes to sexuality. And so the, the world is shouting, live your truth. You deserve to be happy. You'll be, you'll be fulfilled when you are your true, when you are the true you. That's what the world is saying. But the Bible is saying here, you're not supposed to please yourself or please your body. You're supposed to please God. You are made for a purpose, and that purpose is to please God. So that's what the Bible is saying. So tonight, which one is it? Is it please yourself or is it please God? How are you going to live your life? Are you going to live your life to please God? Or are you going to live your life to please God? This is, this is the fundamental question. This question is at the root of every single issue that we're going to be considering for, the, for this entire series. Are, are we going to live for self-gratification? Or are we going to live for God-glorification? What, what, what's going to drive the way that we live? Is it going to be self-gratification or God-glorification? In verse 13, God's telling us, your body is not ultimately for you. Your body is for me. I made it. I'm the owner. Your life is mine. You're supposed to lay it on, on the altar as a living sacrifice because I'm the one who bought you. I'm the one who shed my blood for you to ransom you and purchase you. And because of that, your body's not your own. It's mine. Hallelujah. God's telling us in this passage, it's not all about you. It's all about me. 
It's what God's saying. He's the center of the universe, not you. So, so, so what if you are not at the center of the universe and everything doesn't revolve around you? Can you be okay with that? Well, what if God, instead of you, is at the center of the universe and everything revolves around him? So many times we have a hard time with that, though, because we want the focus to be on us, and we want, we want to be happy, and we want, we want this, and we want that, and we want it our way. We want the world to revolve around us, but unfortunately, according to the Word of God, that's, that's not the way it works. And I, I don't want you to miss this next part of this passage. Here's what God said. He said, your body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for. Somebody say for. The Lord is for the body. Your body is his. Your body is from him. But here's the other part of it. He's for you. He's for you. He's on your side. He's in your corner. He's interested in your life. And that is good news because we're talking about the one who created your body in the first place. You didn't have a hand in that. God did. God's the one who crafted you. God's the one who formed you. And he is for you. And listen, let me tell you how he made you. Let me tell you how he created us. According to Genesis 1:27, it says, "So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him, male and female." It doesn't elaborate after that. It doesn't give any other options after that. This is it. There's two genders. It's male and it's female. And, and when we embrace that, we embrace God's image. Because he said, you're made in my image. There's something that a male and a female can do, and that's they can be fruitful. And they can multiply. And they can create a baby. And we serve a God who's a creator. And so when we embrace being a male and when women embrace being a female, we are embracing the image of God. We're made in his image, not in our image. We, we don't choose our identity or sexuality because this is what we want. We don't make ourselves in our own image. God created us. He made us in his image and male and female. He created them. Listen, a lot of these Corinthians and these, these Christians in the city of Corinth, they are just like many of us today. They lived compartmentalized lives. This was their secular life and this was their spiritual life. This was what they did when they went to the temple and this is what they did when they left the temple. They live compartmentalized life. Well, well, you know, all God really cares about is my spiritual life, and he doesn't really care about my physical life. That, that was the thinking. But the word of God lets us know that's impossible because God's the one who designed our physical life. He's the one who created our body in the first place. So he's not going to create us and then take his hands off of us. He's not going to create us and say, okay, now you have at it. Make of it what you will. And that's foundational tonight. He's the one who created us. We're made in his image. Praise God. The reason these truths are 
so foundational is because if you don't believe that God is for your body, then you will inevitably buy into all kind of lies from the adversary about your body. If you don't understand your body's from him, he's the one who created you, he created you in his image, then you'll begin to question. You'll begin to entertain other ideas about your body. You you will begin to question if God really knew what he was doing when he made you this way. You'll really begin to question if he knew what he was doing when he made you that way. When when, When you were born with that disability, when you were born with that desire, did God mess up? You'll begin to question that. You'll, you'll question if God knew what he was doing when he made you a male or when he made you a female. You, you, you'll question why God would say, don't do this with your body. If you don't understand that he's for you, you'll begin to question what he says about your body. And in the process, you will end up justifying going against what God has said. So this is so important tonight. You've got to leave here knowing God is for you. He's not here to hurt you. He's not here to make you live a miserable life. He wants to prosper you. He wants to give you a hope and a future. I want you to think about it. The all-wise The all-loving creator of the universe formed your body. He formed my body. And God knows better than any one of us. God knows better than anyone else in the world what is best for our bodies. Yet we listen to so many others that we think have our best interest in mind. We give ear and heed to so many others when God loves us the most and he knows us the best. We, we live in a world where the mantra is, nobody can tell me what to do with my body. No, nobody can tell me how to live. And, and I want you to know, the, the essence of that is sin. That, that's really a very prideful thing. No, nobody can tell me what to do. Nobody can tell me right and wrong. No, nobody can tell me truth and lies. No, nobody can tell me that. And it's, it's arrogance to say, you know what, I know better than God knows what, about, about how I should handle my body, about how my body was made, how my body should function. I know better than he knows. But, but hear this tonight and, and, and believe this, and I, and I hope you'll receive this tonight. God is for you. He's on your side. He wants you to prosper. This is where it all starts, is having an understanding that God is not against you. He's for you. And if you question this, if you question whether God is for you or not, you're going to live a life full of confusion. If you question this tonight, you're going to be susceptible to deception. So don't doubt it. Believe this. Receive this tonight. He's for you. He's for your body. Your body's from him, and your body is for him. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Because of that, you can trust what God said about your body. You can trust what God said about your sexuality. You can trust trust what God said about your gender. And you may be thinking, well, what did God say about my body? I hadn't heard God say anything about your body, but I want you to know tonight God has already spoken about your body. He's already spoken about your sexuality. He spoke loud and clear about your gender. And all you have to do is go home tonight, get in front of a mirror, take your clothes off, and check out your anatomy. 
He spoke. I'm going to tell you, there's differences between a male and a female. There's differences between a man and a woman. And so when you were born, God spoke. This is a boy. This is a girl. And it's definitive. There's no question. Nobody has to write on the birth certificate. Let's wait until later and see what this child wants to declare themselves as. Because God's already spoken. God's already settled it. Wow, it took too long with that one. Let's go. Number two. We're not going to be here all night, just half of it. So, The third foundational truth about our bodies is that in this broken world, we all have broken bodies. Let me remind you that that when the first sin occurred, when man and woman used their bodies outside of God's design for them, that, that's when sin entered the picture. Here's what God said. God said, don't do what? Don't eat of the fruit of that tree, right? Don't, don't satisfy your flesh that way. That, that's what he was saying. There's ways to satisfy your flesh. There's right ways. There's good ways. But this over here, this isn't the way to satisfy your flesh. So he said, don't eat of the tree. God had created Adam and Eve with a physical desire for food, which is good. Okay, can I just say this? God created us with a sex drive. It's from him, and it's good. No, when you let it get out of proportion, it's not good. When you let it operate outside of the right context, it's not good. But your sex drive is from God. And your desire for food is from God. God created us that way. It's part of God's good design for our bodies. However, that physical desire, he knew that that physical desire in Adam and Eve could lead them to fulfill their desires outside of his design. And when they went outside of his design, that wouldn't be good. So God told them, here's a good way. All the other trees in the garden, all the other plants in the garden, here's a good way to fulfill your physical desires. Eat of all of these other trees. But over here, here's a harmful way to fulfill your desires. So don't eat from that. Eat everything else. Fulfill your desires with all this over here. But don't do this. Don't, don't miss this tonight. From the very beginning of the Bible, before sin even entered the picture, God had given man and woman physical desires that were intended to be filled, fulfilled in certain ways. The desire was there. The appetite was there. But there was a right way to satisfy it, and there was a wrong way to satisfy it. You can go to Genesis 3, and we see what happened. They went about it the wrong way. Man and woman decided to fulfill their desires in a way that was contrary to God's design. And you know what the result was? The result was brokenness. Brokenness between man and woman. Brokenness between man and their relationship with God. Brokenness entered the picture. Brokenness in ways that would not just affect them in the garden, but would go on to affect every single person who would be born after them, including you and me today. 
And because of that, we all live in a world that has been broken, utterly broken by sin. And the effects of that, they're different for all of us. You're impacted by sin one way. They're impacted by sin another way. I'm impacted by sin maybe a different way. But we're all impacted by brokenness. We're all impacted by sin. For some, it's an infirmity. For some, it's a deformity. Why? It's the result of sin. Why was he born that way? Why was she born that way? It's, it's because of sin. We live in a broken, broken world. Some have a disability. Some have a weakness. But it's brokenness. For others, it may be an inclination to addiction. For some, it may be alcoholism. For others, it may be substance abuse. For others, their brokenness may manifest. It may come in the form of physical desires for the opposite sex outside of marriage that lead them to doing things that aren't pleasing to God. And then for others, it could be physical desire for the same sex that also leads them to doing things that are not pleasing to God according to his word. Some, because of sin, they have questions about the way God made them sexually to the point that they don't feel like they fit in or they don't belong or like they aren't comfortable in their own skin, comfortable in their own bodies. It's a result of sin. It's a result of brokenness, and it manifests in different ways for different people. Others deal with issues like infertility abnormalities or, or diseases or, or cancer. It's all a result of sin. It's all a result of this right here. It's all a result of brokenness. And because of brokenness, we are all prone to fulfill physical desires in ways that are contrary to the word of God. Because we're broken. Because sin has blighted us because sin has tainted us, because we've gotten a taste of the pleasures of sin. They're pleasurable. The Bible says that. It's a given. It's for a season, though. But we've gotten a taste of that apple. We've gotten a taste of what that's like. And so all of us, we are prone to fulfill our physical desires in ways that aren't pleasing to God. Now, I could go on and on here, but let, let, let's, move, let's move on here. So here's, here's four realities to keep in mind about, about brokenness tonight. The first one is this. Bodily sin harms inevitably. The pleasures of sin are for a season, right? It may feel good, may be enjoyable for a little while, but it's, it's eventually going to bring harm. In 1 Corinthians 6 and 12, we're not going to put this on the screen, but some of the Corinthians saw no harm in practicing prostitution. And, and that what they would say in response was, all things are lawful. Right? But God responded in essence by saying, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because you can doesn't mean that it's good. Okay? So here, here's the second. Here's the second reality. Bodily sin controls quickly. 1 Corinthians verse 12 continues, all things are lawful to me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Their thinking in Corinth was, all things are lawful. I can do what I want to do. And can I remind you that we now live in a nation where same-sex marriage is lawful? We can say, just like the Corinthians did, hey, this is lawful. 
Our government has decided that this is okay. Right? Sodomy is lawful. Cross-dressing is lawful. Transgenderism is lawful. The government says that it's lawful. But God says, no, just because you can doesn't mean that it's good. It's going to harm you. It's going to hurt you. It's going to eventually get control of you. Remember Esau of the Old Testament? He gave away his entire birthright just for a bowl of soup. Why? Because eventually his appetites took control of him. He just had to have what he had to have. He just had to satisfy his appetite. He had to satisfy his impulse or his craving. Why? Because bodily influences can cause you to do foolish things. And as a result, you have consequences for a lifetime. Here's number three. Brokenness, not only does it control, but bodily sin devastates painfully. It devastates painfully. This is what verses 16 and 17 are all about. The Bible specifically says that sexual sins unite you with the other person. Two two become one in the eyes of God when you engage in that sinful act. So it affects you in a way that's different than any other sin. Sexual sins are set apart in the Word of God. I know we don't have the taxonomy of which sin is worst, you know, which, which sin's the most dreadful. Sin is sin is sin is sin. They'll all send you to hell. Unrepentant, they'll send you to hell. But the Bible does make a distinction about sexual sins. And they're sins of the body. Then, then verse 18 says this, every sin that a man does is outside the body. Every other one. But notice the comparison here. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And remember, your body is joined to Christ. So the Lord is saying here, don't underestimate the effect of bodily sin, particularly sexual sin. Don't just think, hey, it's a fling. Don't just think, oh, it doesn't really mean anything. It's just, it's just an itch I'm scratching. It's just a pleasure that I'm engaging. No, no, it has an impact. Sexual sin destroys lives. Sexual sin destroys and breaks marriages. It shatters homes. It causes hurt and pain, and it leads to all sorts of other sins like lying because you have to start covering up. It leads to other sins like bitterness. It leads to other sins like hatred because now now, now you despise that person. It leads to things like gossip and unforgiveness and even murder. But it may start with a sexual sin. We know that King David, he gave in to an inappropriate physical desire with Bathsheba and the sin, that sin of the body that he engaged in, it eventually led to the murder of Uriah and it eventually led to the death of his baby because bodily sin devastates painfully. Here's number four. Realities of brokenness is that ultimately bodily sin condemns eternally. Look, look at what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. 
Some may be sitting here tonight thinking, you know what, okay, I know he's talking about gender issues, and I know he's talking, you know, about confusion and dys- you know, the dysphoria and all of that. But, but can I tell you that a lot of the sins that we don't think are so bad are listed right there in the same list as homosexuals and sodomites? And we'll look down our nose at them, and we'll say, oh, that's, that's, that's awful, that's terrible. But I want you to know, we, we, I'm not saying that to minimize I'm not saying that to minimize, but I am saying it to maximize the other. For us to understand, hey, we, we don't need we don't need to say, hey, this this is real, this is a booger bear of a sin, and this over here, because it's a heterosexual thing, it's okay, it's not as bad. It's not the word of God. Obviously, bodily sin is addressed here in this passage in, in many ways, but I don't want you to miss the language pertaining to all of these ways here. Listen, those who go outside of God's good design for our bodies, it says it plainly, will not inherit the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, let me go back. It says it twice. It says it up here at the beginning in verse 10, and it says it again there in verse number 10. It says it twice. You will not inherit the kingdom of God if you live that way, if you live unrepentant in those kind of sexual, immoral lifestyles. So we've got to understand tonight that how we use our bodies, it affects our lives, not only in the here and now, but if it affects us, it has the potential to affect us for eternity. Praise God. So let's move on back to kind of my main three points, four points. Three foundational truths about our bodies. I can already see I made a mistake. You'll see it when we go to the next one. But our, our bodies are God's temple. Our bodies are God's temple. Look, look at verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 6 again. Do you not know that your body is the temple? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. And if that doesn't drive the point home about the value and the importance of your body, then I don't, I don't know what will. The Spirit, think about this, the Spirit of the Almighty God, if you're a Spirit-filled individual, His Spirit is housed within your body. You're a container walking around with the deposit of the Almighty God inside of you. Talk, talk about meaning. Talk, talk about fullness. Talk about fulfillment. That's where we need to find meaning and fulfillment, right there. That our body is the temple. That, that ought to affect how we act. That ought to affect how we talk. That, that ought to affect how we dress. That, that ought to affect the, the decisions that we make. That ought to affect our behaviors. That, that ought to even affect what we desire. Why? Because at the end of the day, our bodies are temples of the Holy Ghost. And when you realize, when you realize that he is in you, and you understand how valuable you are to him, then you should be willing to do what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. You ought to be willing to flee sexual immorality. Flee. Make haste. Get us thou outest. Little King James sprinkled in here. Run away. Run in the opposite direction. Don't walk. Don't saunter. Don't skip. Run. 
When it comes to sexual immorality, get out of there. Why? Because God wants to save us from something that our flesh thinks is good. And he, as our good father, he knows it's not good for us. He knows that it's deadly. You see, church, whenever God gives us a negative command, really, really, what, what, what he's doing here, you know when he says do this or don't do that, flee from this, when he, when he gives us a negative command, really what he's doing is he's giving us two positives. And here are the positives. One is that God is pointing to something better. When God says don't do, when God says don't engage, don't act like, he's pointing to something better. And then here's the second positive. When he gives us a negative, God is protecting us from something that is worse. Whenever you hear God saying, don't do this, flee from that, run from this, he's always pointing to something better, and he's protecting us from something worse. So can I encourage you? Don't rise up in prideful resistance. When you get a negative command from God, when God stops you, when God convicts you, when, when your conscience begins to speak to you, don't, 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 don't bow up on God when you get a negative command from him and think, you know what, oh, he's just trying to keep me from having fun and he's just trying to keep me from, from living a fulfilled life. Listen, that sinfulness in us, because that's exactly what Adam and Eve thought in the garden. God had said what? He said, don't eat from that tree. It was a negative. Don't do this. But why was God giving them that negative command? He was doing it because he was pointing to something better. If you don't eat of that, you're going to be able to continue in relationship with me. We'll continue to walk together in the cool of the day. And he was also protecting them from something that was worse. We know that the wages of sin is death. So he was trying to keep them from that. But Adam and Eve didn't believe God, and they thought, you know, God, God must be holding out on us. God must be keeping us from something that is good. That tree, the fruit of that tree must really be special. It must really be good, and he doesn't want me to have what is good. So I want you to think about this. You've got a child, toddler, four or five years old maybe, and you tell that, that kid, you know, you're going to go outside and play, but I want you to stay in the yard. And don't you run out in that road. You stay here in the yard. You stay here inside the fence. And don't you dare go out in that road. Listen, that's, that's good for him. That's, that's good for her. It's, it's keeping them safe. Right? You know better as a parent. You know better as an, as an adult. But wouldn't it be ignorant for that four-year-old to disregard your instruction? Go out in the road anyway. Yet that's exactly what we insist on doing sometimes with our bodies. And that's what our culture is encouraging today. And that's what our culture is celebrating today. Hey, you know what? Go play in the road if you want to. It's, you know, do, what, do whatever makes you happy. Meanwhile, God is lovingly saying, don't run out into the road. It's dangerous in the road. There's harm there in the road. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt you. It, it's going to control you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to devastate you. It has the potential of condemning you forever. So stay in the yard. 
Stay in this safe place. Let's skip ahead here. So, so what are we supposed to be fleeing? What, what is the road, if you will, that we're not supposed to go near? The Bible describes it as sexual immorality. That's the road. Stay out of that road. So what is sexual immorality? The Bible describes it. Here's what we know today is from, from the Word of God. It refers to any and all sexual activity outside of a marriage between a man and a woman. Any kind of sexual activity outside of a marriage, not just any marriage, not just what the United States of America says is a marriage, but outside of a marriage between a man and a woman. Anything outside that is sexually immoral. It fits in that list. Even if it doesn't get named specifically earlier on, it fits in that list. The list that says that if you do these things, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So I just want to point out that if you're single tonight and you're in here like, you know, why am I here and, you know, what does this have to do with me? And, you know, listen, I, I want to point out that if you're single, maybe, maybe you're going to be single for life. That, that, that may be how it works out. Well, listen, th this doesn't mean that you cannot flourish as a single man. This doesn't mean that you cannot flourish as a single woman. And if that were true, listen, Jesus didn't flourish. I think he did, though. He was single. And I think he did all right. If he, you know, listen, if you can't flourish as a single individual, then neither did Luke, and neither did Titus, and neither did Lydia, and neither did Phoebe. I want you to keep in mind that Paul, the guy who wrote 1 Corinthians and half the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he was single. So being married is not necessary for human flourishing. Yet the Bible clearly and consistently teaches that sexual activity is exclusive to marriage. It's exclusive between a husband and a wife to the point, listen, that there is not one place in the Bible that celebrates sexual activity outside of a marriage between a man and a woman. There's not one place. It's not one time it's viewed positively outside of marriage. Can I, can I take this a step further? Listen, beyond physically engaging in sexual immorality, can I encourage you? You don't need to sit in front of a screen, whether it's a big screen or whether it's so small it fits in the palm of your hand. And you don't need to watch other people engage in sexual immorality. You need to flee from that junk. You need to run away. You need to turn it off as fast as you can. Let me go a step further. You need to research what you're going to watch before you watch it. Come on, are we going to be Christians or not? Are we going to live by biblical principles or not? You can be a Christian no matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you have technology or there's no technology around. You can be a Christian. If you find yourself in the wrong atmosphere, guess what? Be a Christian. Be a man of God. Be a woman of God and say, you know what? This isn't, this isn't becoming to a Christian. I'm going to have to kind of quietly slip out of this. I'm going to have to make an You don't have to make a show. You don't have to condemn anybody else. You just need to say, you know what? I, I've, I'm a container. I'm a container for the Holy Spirit. My body's a temple. And you know what? I know Jesus wouldn't like this atmosphere. I, I know that Jesus wouldn't be comfortable sitting here on this couch watching this thing. 
So I'm going to shut it down. Somebody say amen. Praise God. Don't read it. Don't listen to it. Don't watch it. Praise God. Listen, the Bible is clear that we're, we're all bent. We're all born with a, with a bent towards sexual sin. But church, just because we have a, a bent or an inclination doesn't mean you've got to act on it. I know we're just past 8 o'clock. Bear with me. I need to finish this tonight so we can go forward from here. Try not to abuse your time. But just because you have a desire, just because you have an inclination, doesn't mean you have to act on it. Some researchers say that infidelity may be in our genes. But we all know that just because it's there doesn't mean you have to do it. Just because your flesh wants it, desires it, doesn't mean you have to follow through with it. You can resist your flesh. You can crucify your flesh. If you are led by the Spirit, you can override the flesh. That's what's born of flesh is flesh. That's what's born of the Spirit is spirit. You don't have to do what your flesh wants to do. So understand this tonight. The presence of a desire doesn't mean we act on that desire in order to be whole. Just acting on it doesn't mean that you do it in order to be fully ourselves. But that's the way that sexual immorality works in our broken world. That's the way that it works in the society that we're in. It all begins with a desire. It all begins with a sexual desire. It all begins with something that someone wants. And then we assume that what we want is who we are. Well, I want this, or I'm interested in that, or I'm attracted to this. So that must be who I am. And we define ourselves according to our desires rather than defining ourselves about in the way that God speaks about us. But just because you have a desire doesn't mean you have to act on it. Remember, the, your body, our body, my body is the Lord's. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. But we live in a world that says that whatever you desire, that's who you are. Whatever you feel, and, and, and they don't even take into account a lot of times past experiences, instances of, of hurt or abuse. They, they, they don't even take into, into account some of the, the trauma and life that can produce some, certain things or the, or the way one was weird, maybe in a, in a one reared in a, in, in a one-parent home. They, they, don't, they, don't take, they don't take into account what possibly could have contributed. They just say, if this is the way you feel, if this is a, a desire, an attraction that you have, then that's who you are. So we identify ourselves in all of these different ways, convincing ourselves that satisfaction and fulfillment will only be found in acting out or in living according to our desires. Yet we're at, what we're actually living out, it's really an age-old lie. It's really a lie that's been around since the Garden of Eden. It's been around since Adam and Eve. 
we find that lie summarized in the book of Proverbs, verse four, uh, chapter 14, verse 12. Here's what it says. There is a way that seems right to who? Not to God. It's a way that seems right to man. But our ways, you, know, you want to know where our ways end up? Death. Our ways end up in destruction. Our ways end up in harm. Always end up in us being less than what God intends for us to be. There are so many ways that seem right to us that in the end, they lead to death. Would you stand with me? I've got some good news from the Word of God tonight. And that is that there is another way. There's another way to live. You don't have to live the way that leads to death. You can live the way that leads to life. You can find yourself in a place that leads to life now, in the here and now, and life forever in eternity. You see, Jesus, God in a body, right? That's who he is. Jesus comes to this broken world, and he comes to every single one of us, and no matter what our desires, no matter what our questions, no matter what our struggle may be, he gives us all the same invitation that's found in the book of John, chapter 6, verse 35. Here's what Jesus says. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. And you may be thinking, oh, he's just reading that to try to find something nice to put in here on this talk about sexuality and this talk about gender. And that doesn't really fit. That's nice preacher, but that doesn't really fit. But I want, you to, I want you to pay attention. Here in this passage, you know what Jesus was doing? He was using a bodily desire. Food and water. And, and, and can I even espouse that the desire for food and water is a more fundamental desire than a sexual desire? That it's even more foundational? You can survive without sex. But you go without water a few days. You go without, you go without food for a little while. So this desire was even more fundamental than a sexual desire. It's something we all need. We all need bread, food. We all need water. It's something that is universal. And Jesus here, in essence, was saying, listen, you've got desires? Come to me because I'm the fulfillment of all of your desires. What you need, you'll find in me. What you're longing for, you'll find in me. I am the one that you need to flourish. Come to me and you won't be hungry. Believe in me, trust in me, and you won't ever thirst. But in order for God to be what you need for him to be, that means that you're going to have to say no to the desires of your body. Do you remember Jesus' initial words to anyone who were going to follow him? They're found in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him. Come on, would you read that again? Let him take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life has to lose it. 
whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Church, this is the call of Jesus to every single one of us. And it must not be diluted. It must not be watered down. It must not be dumbed down in our day. I don't care what's going on in the world around us. I don't care what Hollywood has to say. Listen, whoever you are, you've got to die to yourself. You've got to die to your flesh. You've got to die to your desires. And you've got to come alive in Jesus. Come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Trust that Jesus has everything that you need. Trust that he loves you and that he and his word are worthy of your trust in return. Listen, even when his word goes completely against the grain of the world around us, we've got to say, I'm throwing my lot in with the Lord. I'm going to stand on the Lord's side. I'm going to let the truth of God's word have the final say in my life. I, I'm not going to get all involved in the arguments of the world and, and this and that and born this way or, or choose this way or that. No, no, I'm going to go back and I'm going to go to the word of God and I'm going to let the word of God settle it. Listen, I know there's tons, tons, tons of things that I didn't get to tonight, but let me remind you, tonight was foundational. You need to be here next Wednesday. You need to be here the Wednesday after that. But I, I, I want to end. I want to end this tonight by just saying there is hope for every single one of us. That coworker of yours that you feel like so far from God, there's hope for them. That family member that's confused right now, there's hope. Come on, if there was hope for you. Our hope is found right here in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 6. And such were some of you. He's not talking to the city of Corinth here. He's talking to the church in Corinth. He's talking to the saved. He's talking to the believers. And he's saying, don't you remember where he found you? Don't you remember the lifestyle you were involved in? Don't you remember where Jesus drew you out of? Such were some of you. But thank God you were washed and now you are sanctified and you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Listen, I want you to know if you feel like there's no hope for you tonight, there's hope for you and your testimony can just be like the Corinthians. I used to be this way, but now I'm washed. I used to be that way, but now I'm freed. I've been redeemed. I found my identity in God instead of things of the world. Such were. It's in the past. It's history. Oh, I wonder if you'd lift up your hands and begin to call on the Lord right now. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you were inspired by today's sermon. Connect with the Life Church through our website, TLCDallas.com, and on Facebook and Instagram at TLC Dallas. Remember, together we can love God, love people, and make a difference. God bless.